All right, everybody, welcome back to Victory Over Self Radio. Victory Over Self Radio, diving into all things athletics. We will get into topics ranging from sports performance, weight training, business, and leadership. As always, we have on another phenomenal guest today, Coach Dan Mullins, joining us all the way down from the Peach State there in Georgia. It is just towards the end of July, so he is hot and sweaty all day, every day, getting those boys ready for the upcoming football season. Uh, We're excited uh, to get him on here, hopefully talk a little tech, talk some peaches, talk some football, and iron sharpens iron here as we will try to make everybody better listening in. So thanks again, Dan, for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, really, really looking forward to it. I've uh, kind of like I was telling you guys before we hit the record button. This has been this podcast has been a place that I've gone to for quite a bit of my knowledge and, and just listening and growth. And it's one that uh, you know when Ross sent me the message and said, "Let's do it," I said, "All right, I'm." No, I'm well, we, we appreciate you having so. on. And so Ross is the we're, we're going to call it the initiator of uh, a relationship <laughs> with you, uh, knowing you before just you know today, like I. Uh, kind of met you, uh, obviously been following you on the socials and all that for a bit. But what we'll uh, kind of start out with is we're going to turn it over to Ross. And uh, Ross, let's uh, let's get the party started with some uh, good questions for, for Coach here. All right, man. So we're going to let people, uh, they're going to learn your background without doing any, without uh, having you bring it on. They're going to research it themselves. We don't like doing that whole deal. If they need, another, need, to, need to know your background, then go to another podcast. <laughs> so... Uh, Dan, I know you're a uh, conjugate guy, use a, that kind of sort of framework. And so I've been on kind of a kick lately, doing a lot of research, listening to the guys. Uh, kind of give us the gist of, you know, one, you know, why, why do you use conjugate and how do you use it? And then kind of your interpretations and what your system looks like. For sure. So real quick, before I jump into that, you might hear some some little voices behind me and things like that. And they're... Uh, my, my family is always involved in, in everything that we do. You know, I grew up and part of part of me and what I tell my athletes, like I'm very open and honest. And I tell them, you know, up mm-hmm. front, I grew up without a father. I grew up in a very in a single mother household and a lot of other external circumstances. And one thing that um, the one promise that I made that was that as I got into coaching and as I dive into it, I'm going to give everything I have and what I do. But you're going to hear you're going to hear my kids and they're going to be there with me all the time. So if that makes me unprofessional, so be it. And they can't listen. I'm sorry. They can reach out to me and we'll have a conversation on a different time. But so if you hear them or they pop in to say, Hey, that's uh, they, they're very inquisitive. So, uh, but yeah, so conjugate um, kind of the, the very brief version of my background. I was a power lifter for um, about six years, ended up um, training at the sweat shop outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, which uh. is um, Laura Phelps sweat is one of the co-owners of that gym and she's the strongest female powerlifter of all time uh trained with louis simmons back in the old days like if you've seen i know you guys have had fahey on if you've seen west side versus the world um she's she's in it um she's one of the stars late in the movie um the men's side gets a lot of attention but the women's side's always been successful um regardless of the ups and downs of what the men's side experienced the women's side was very um very consistent with what they do so like i had the opportunity to train with at Laura's gym um, with like Janine Whitaker, um, Anthony Oliveira, Val was there with her. Um, There was a a lot of great people that were there. Um, And so learn the system inside and out for, I I had the opportunity to train there for about three years. 
um, when I was in my, my, my second time during undergrad. So when I was getting my education degree to teach, um, I was able to train there. Um, ended up training, uh, ended up competing at um, the WPO or, well, really the WPC, which is the raw version. Um, so it was on Team USA for that. Had a great experience there. Uh, made a ton of mistakes, but uh, also had a lot of fun and learned a lot about training. So when it came time that I ended up taking over um, strength conditioning for a football team and then slowly all sports when I was back in Ohio and then what led into today, like that was the foundational framework that I had learned. Like obviously we lifted and we trained when I was in high school, when I was in college and things like that. But the West side method, when I learned as a power lifter, you know, what I was doing, um, those were the things that, that I learned was being explosive, learning how to train hard, uh, but also train smart at that time and, and listen to your body and all that stuff. So um, all of those things were really, really important to me. Um, and I think when you dive into it and you look at what Westside actually means and, and how Westside trains, like all of the things that they emphasize are, are also emphasis in, you know, what we do at the high school level. There's a lot of similar qualities. Oh, yeah. High five. Uh, love you, bud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of similar qualities to um, – in just a little bit, um, a lot of similar qualities, you know, the things that we want our athletes to be able to do, right. Jumping, moving weight violently and fast, uh, being very diverse in their skill set, having hypertrophy for some of those kids that haven't experienced, um, puberty when, by the time they're sophomores, juniors and seniors and things like that. So there's a lot of those common threads. So, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot of West side conjugate methods that, that, allow us and support us to do our job effectively and efficiently um, to build those systems around of a quality training program um, that allow you to still get the movement pattern reps. Because obviously with 14 to 18 year old kids, movement patterns are and teaching movement patterns are a huge piece of what we do. Um, so that I think the frequency that you train with um, within Westside um, and plus the, the peak, the whole peaking schedule thing, like obviously we want athletes to peak at certain times, but at the end of the day, for instance, like football, I, week one is every bit as important as week four, which is the same as whenever we hit our non our region schedule and then our playoff schedule. We have to be able to compete in those things. So I can't I don't have the the ability or the um, luxury of working with a team that we know we're going to be in the playoffs. We know uh, we're going to be competing for a region title and we can just focus on those things. So we have to, you know, fight tooth and nail, scratch and claw to win every game. So the idea of a West Side method where Louis' famous quote, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready, like that's not that that's not a concern of ours because I know we're going to move dynamic every single week, multiple times a week. We're going to get bigger, we're going to get stronger, we're going to get faster, and we're going to be healthy uh, for a long period of time. Okay, I like that, Dan. So what are some – so we've kind of talked before where for your dynamic pool, you're doing Olympic variations. Uh, you kind of talked where you're catching a couple days, you're not catching a couple the other days. Uh, what are typically the go-to Olympic variations you're hitting? And then why are you catching some days, not catching others? Yeah, so we we catch, um, one, depending on where we are in the calendar, one to two times a week. Um, a big friend, uh, a, a big impact on my life and my philosophy of coaching is Stan Luttrell. Um, who's another Georgia guy down here. He's at Colquitt County. He was at Buford formerly. Um, he's a uh, USAW international level coach. He uh, teaches them very well, and he's had a big impact on me. Um, 
and kind of integrating some of the like Bulgarian methods of our training of our, our clean training mm-hmm. and how we train cleans into them to be able to train heavy uh, force absorption. Um, the technique side of things, having our, our kids, when we go to train for whatever reason, like we could squat, we could bench, we could deadlift and we can clean. And regardless of all those things, whenever we do Olympic variations, they're more technically and tactically locked into what we're asking them to do. So for me, it's easier to demand their attention mm-hmm. with Olympics um, and they just automatically lock in for whatever reason. I don't know if it's like I coach them better or what, but for whatever reason, they're they're locked in really, really well. So I like that and it allows us to be really efficient with those processes. Um, but we so we catch one to two times a week, depending on where we are in that season. Um, but we I love to integrate um, some of those other variations into our West Side stuff. So. For instance, like if we have a um, if we have a dynamic effort squat going on, um, one of the things we might pair it with um, within that day, not in that tier, but within that day, we might pair it with a snatch grip liftoff or what some people might call a snatch grip deadlift. But we're going to stop at the knees to force proper positioning to make sure that we're there. We push the floor away. Our hips and chest rise together. All of those coaching cues, but it's a technique driller for us for when we, we start cycle back to the snatch. Okay. So with your, do you do the same type of squat on your, on your strength day and your dynamic day? Does that make sense? Yeah, not really. Um, and kind of the full disclosure, like the school that I'm with right now, I've been here for nine, nine weeks now. Um, we, we aren't fully integrated onto West side yet. Like it's a slow integration by the time we get there we'll be there i would say we'd be heavily west side by the time we get to the off season um so come december january um so there's there's bits and pieces and touches on it so like we haven't started box squatting yet um, but box squat is one of the main movements that i love to do um at various heights whether low whether high whether right at parallel um for a, a lot of different reasons you know you're looking at Shearing forces on the knees. You're looking at vertical shins. You're looking at um, you know starting strength off the uh, off the box. So we'll come down and we'll pause. We'll make them control that weight, and then at physically start it from a a, um, a, a completely motionless position. Um, we're looking at hips and glute strength. Um, you know hip flexibility with being able to flare in a wide stance with a box. Um, and then we'll front squat. Um, I use, I love dynamic effort front squats. Um, I also love front squats as a primary movement. So like right now, as we're integrating everything in, um, we do a lot of like five, three, one within our system. So like on our strength days are, they're typically a five, three, one style movement because we don't, we don't do a traditional max effort in terms of one rep, two rep, three rep max, plus accommodating resistance or things like that. We will occasionally here and there, depending on, again, depending on where we are in the season, but the closer we get into the actual season, more of that goes away. And our program begins to take a, uh, like a five, a modified five, three, one approach where that five through one replaces those max effort days, but we're still going to get our dynamic days. So we will play with the stances a little bit. Um, we'll go narrow with a front squat to help support our cleans. We'll go a traditional back squat with a normal squat stance. We'll go, um, we'll go wide stance sumo, um, we'll sumo deadlift as well. So we will play with their feet and play with their stance depending on what time it is in the year. And, and really on strength days, less so than dynamic days. Like I like to give them that a little bit lighter load, more dynamic load in the eccentric portion for their, their speed days when we're going to try 
whether it's a box squat or something like that, we'll try, we'll try a wave. We'll do an entire wave of, you know, wide stance box squats or sumo stance box squats before we throw them in as one of our, like our five, three, one lifts. So that makes sense. How, okay. When you get your kids, you know, started in the program and you know, I don't know how young you're, you're getting your kids. Uh, we're starting to get them in seventh, eighth grade here. And honestly, I start, I'm going to start with fifth and sixth as well, but you know, we're not doing that with those kids. Uh, but when you get them started, you know, how do you, how do you get them going into that system? Uh, and particularly from the breaking up of strength and dynamic work, because, you know, a lot of coaches are going to get the argument of, okay, they're not strong enough to express power, not strong enough to, to do that and, and push a little more repetitions and things of that nature. Uh, but yeah, how do you get your kids started when you're first getting into the system? For sure. So um, right now, like once school starts, I only have uh, nine through 12. Um, we have three feeder middle schools, but we don't get 100% of any of them. So I think the biggest portion of those schools that we get is 60%. So they, I think they have weight training to an extent in the school day. I think it's like a, a block or a, a portion of their like PE programming for eighth graders. So the first time I get any kid younger than freshman is that uh, June july freshman mm-hmm. football player that's coming to our high school um so they do a like a modified one by 20 program where they'll go four weeks at one by 20 four weeks at one by 15 four weeks at two by 10 um, four weeks at three by eight and then they um they'll run five by or five three one for their entire second semester except for those um dynamic days but i love um, integrating those kids in using that system because it allows us to drill those movement patterns, but that doesn't replace their entire workout. That is their primary tier. So like because of the restrictions of our weight room, everything, when the school was built, it was not built to have as many kids as we have. Um, so we have about 80 kids every single day or every single class period in there. Um, but the school, it was originally built on sets of six. So like, we have six racks with benches in them. We have six racks with no benches. Um, we have six lifting platforms, and then we have dumbbells and things like that. So we have like these rotations. So we we're gonna use a, uh, use a a, a Joe a Joe Ken tier system where you have upper lower and total every day because we are athletes and we do want to train the entire body each day um, in some way, shape, or form because that's how sport is expressed and sport is played. So we'll, we'll tier our movements, strategies overall, but whatever our focal point is for that day, whether it's our squat, our bench, or our trap bar, when those freshmen or those first year, um, their first semester students get to that station, they have a one by 20 program with various exercises built into that. So like on when on our upper body focus day, um, when people, when, when everybody else is doing their bench press um, and they're doing their five, three, one for that tier, when that group gets to that station, they might have um, a variety of different hmm. one by 20 upper body lifts at that station. It's on their paper. And then I travel with the freshmen. So I, I want to be the ones that teach the freshmen so that I know when they integrate into the, our, our second semester class um, and then the rest of the three years that they're the other three years after that, that they're with us, that they've been trained using my terminology and using my coaches out to make sure they're, they're doing things the way that I want them to do. So I'll travel with that group, not to say that I won't pop into others here and there, but that is my primary focus when we are together. Um, and so they'll do that one by 20 and they'll progress that. So every let's, for instance, let's say, 
uh, Tuesday is our upper body day. So when they come to their, uh, or the, our upper body main lift focused here. So when they come to the upper body station, I'm with them. We can progress them through all of their, the movements that we have set and those movements stay the same for that four weeks. So the next time they come back, they have their notebook and they have to keep track of the weight they used last time. If they get 20 perfect reps, they get to add 10 pounds to that. And now you have one by 20 again with 10 pounds heavier than what you did last week. So they have to show me their notebook and they say, hey, coach, last time I did 95, I've got 105 this time. Great. Go ahead and do it. Oh, 20 perfect reps, add 10 for next. And then they just keep track of that in their notebook and then they progress for that for the course of the four weeks. And then again, that rep scheme, that rep scheme changes and we get a little bit more intense and then a little bit more intense to the point where at some point by the end of the semester, they're hitting three by eight. Um, and then now we're working some of those hypertrophy stuff. And this goes back to week one when I first get them where, you know, I'm very open and upfront and honest with them. And I tell them, Hey guys, look, um, I want you to be successful. I want you to have fun. I want you to do all of those things this year, but I, I simply do not care about your performance in freshman football or in freshman volleyball or in freshman baseball. Uh, my job and my goal is to get a ring on your hand by the time you graduate. Um, and that doesn't, they don't give out rings for freshmen um, or JV. They give out rings for what happens on Friday night or what happens under the, with varsity jerseys on. So, um, and that's, that's echo. Now we have a, like a stoplight system based off like game days and things like that, that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cody Hughes put, was one of the first people that actually like put it out there. Um, but we modified it. And instead of like, instead of saying, I have a game two days away from now where I have a game tomorrow where I have a game today. It says I have a varsity <laughs> game. I have a varsity game, a varsity game in all three of those levels because I, I tell them straight up, like, you're going to be fine playing your, var- your your freshman game today or your freshman game tomorrow. I cannot tell you what my freshman record was when I was in high school, but I can tell you, uh, oh, man, 13 <laughs> years removed now that – what my what my uh, varsity records were in each sport that I played and some of my most memorable games. Like I remember, yeah, I those. felt, I I felt that. Can, can I hop in, Ross? Yep. Yep. So with your um, freshman, you're taking that entire first semester, and every four weeks it's one by twenty, and then next four weeks one fifteen, then one by ten, and uh, yeah, and then sets of ten, and then sets of eight. Did I did I hear that correct? Okay. Yes, sir. So we'll add a yeah. set once they get to 10. Okay. So and then that's just getting integrated eight. within the workout. So I'm a senior and my main upper body and I'm doing a deadlift or a squat, whatever. And then as a freshman, I come in and I'm doing my one set of 20 or my sets of eights or, or whatever else as the semester progresses. And then are you each uh, 20, 15, 10 and eight, are you now assigning different exercises? So, Hey, for your one by 20, you're doing goblet box squat for your sets of eight. You're doing full blown front squats. Can you just kind of, uh, answer that or give thought there? That's a, no, that's a fantastic question. Cause, um, see like when I do these things and I talk about what we do, like I'll, I'll get so like focused on one piece that like there's a major piece like that, that I completely and totally forget to to touch on. So, but, um, yeah, we do. So, uh, for instance, okay. our one by 20 is a dumbbell goblet squat. I'm um, looking for full range of motion. Um, our one by 15 nice. is a Zerker squat. <laughs> yeah. And when I introduce <laughs> yeah. them to that, they hate me. Um, and then from there we progress to a um, barbell front squat. And then awesome. from there we progress to a barbell back squat. Um, and at that time, depending on, on the group, like if their front squat is really good. And then we, the first week of that three by eight segment, their back squat looks really good and they get full range of motion and depth. 
I made toy with teaching them the box squat that week, that second week of that one. Um, the biggest thing for me that when, when I've done this is that I don't want to reinforce partial movements. Like I don't want, when we do back squat without the box, I don't want you to stop where the box would be. Mm-hmm. I want full range of motion, good quality squats below parallel, full range of motion for all the, the, the whole entire myriad of reasons of why we want a full range of motion squat. Right. Um, including like knees toward yeah. tracking toward the toes, not vertical shins. So like there's a whole piece to that where I don't, I don't necessarily want to drill that into freshmen yet. Um, so it really is, it really is dependent no, yeah. on the group. And I know that's a kind of a cop out answer. Um, but I, I try to save the box squat to be something I teach for our upperclassmen because I, they, for the most part, the, I have them all summer long as well, all of our athletes. Um, so I, I can teach the box squat at any point in time in their program. And we can add that in, in season, out of season, doesn't matter. Like it's, it's fairly simple of a process. Once you've understand, once you understand how to squat in general, no, I, we, I we can add that, that in yeah. later. So we will change those. We will change those exercises. Um, each we, we keep the movement pattern really, really close. Um, but we'll load it differently or we'll add like, um, in one of our, our primary lunch progressions, the first four weeks is a, um, goblet or a goblet split squat. Then we move to contralaterally loaded split squat. Then we'll load into a front foot. We'll go to a front foot elevated split squat, then a rear foot elevated split squat. So those are our four progressions for our split squat variation. So it's all about that, you know, progression, regression conversation. Um, and making sure it fits up with like the, the flow of your room, but also it makes sense. Like I'm going to make this kid do this movement for four weeks straight and prove to me that they can handle this before we go on to something, especially at a 14 year old who like, I don't know about you guys, but when I get 14 year olds, 15 year olds in my weight room, I'm like, I know <laughs> I have explained to you 5,000 times how to spot a bench press, but here we are and your partner is getting pinned under the bar because they don't know how to control it. Like, the conversations we have over and over every single day. So if, if, if those conversations from a maturity perspective about all the other things have to happen, I can't expect to like teach them at one time. We do one by 20 this week and then move on to another variation. So I think that four week timeline has been something that I've found to be um, of the same exercise over and over for four weeks. I think that's um, been a really good sweet spot for us to, to really pattern that and drill that in. And I say that, and then I've only been with this group of freshmen for like six, seven weeks now. So um, as we get, as we get further into the semester, I might I might have a different answer for you. But um, from what I've done in the past, awesome. with the groups okay. That I've and had then the follow past, up to that well. would be why a set of twenty versus a, a set of three, four, or five utilizing tempo. Right. What is it about the one by twenty that you'd like more than uh, um, slowing them down concentrically and? Uh, eccentrically, I saw all that for sure. So we, I, I, and I go, I go back and forth on this a lot often. Like I'll do ISOs within our program. I'll do some triphasic fingerprints to our program here and there, depending on, um, where we are. But I, I really like triphasic in that, um, like December, early January, section of what of our training because now if uh, it's a great time for when our freshmen are starting to transition out of being freshmen and into being upperclassmen and then take our upperclassmen and slow all of them down um and just train slow with that attention to detail so it's almost like a refresher for our upperclassmen 
and new teaching for our fresh um, for our freshmen all all together at the same time. So I've done that before, um, and it's probably something that I will utilize again um, when we get to that time. But when it comes to actually like the the freshman itself um, for their first training cycle, my reasoning would probably be more uh, more associated with the flow of the room. Um, I found it hard to have one group of our students when you have 80 in a room I and I have one other assistant in there with me who <laughs> isn't entirely I hope he's not listening to this um, isn't entirely bought into the way we do things yet because he hasn't seen it um, yeah he, he's I can say this part he's like 65 he's not listening to podcasts so I'm fine saying that but um, when, when when I have 80 in the room and we separate our freshmen out like I found it really hard to have everybody else mm-hmm. on like my normal program and then this small population on a triphasic style program or an ISO based program or something like that. So it may just be the setting of where I'm at. Like if I had a class of all freshmen, the whole class that my, that my answer would probably change. Uh, but it's more so. Okay. No, that makes sense. And then uh, last kind of follow up to, to that Ross and then sorry, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. So you have, 80 kids in the room at a time, hundreds of athletes uh, throughout the week, maybe th- up into the thousands. Um, what are you writing your workouts in or on and then presenting that to the athletes? Are you writing it in a software, Train Heroic, Team Builder, Bridge? Uh, are you in Excel, Google Sheets? And then are you printing out sheets for each age group, for position groups? Um, are you writing on a whiteboard, projecting it? How does that all go down logistically? And this can be a super short answer. You don't have to get long-winded if you don't want to. Yeah, for sure. No, I okay. use um, I use Rack Coach because it allows me again to to help manage that the transitions in the weight room um, and allow frees me up to coach instead of like because there's the auto really cool. buzzers and timers and all that stuff. So it makes it really easy for each kid to know what they're doing. If you haven't done it, it's an awesome program. Um, Mark Hoover just, uh, just jumped on board with it and started imp- implementing it out there at Metrolina. Um, so I use that to manage our room and that's what's projected on our two TVs. And then each car, each rack has a, and each group has their, their own card that's posted on their rack. Um, and they take it with them as they rotate. And for that, I utilize, mm-hmm. um, Cody Hughes, the sheets program, um, which is a fantastic program that allows you to program for, for multiple different styles of athletes at different points in their training calendar, all at the same rack. So like a kid with uh, one of my baseball kids, one of my football kids, um, and one of my basketball players, they could all be at the same rack because they train hard together. Um, but Cody's program is, is really, really streamlined and organized to a point where I can program for basketball. I can program for each of their needs, but then when they pull when I print their sheet, it pops up with what they need even though they're all together at the same rack. So I love, I love his cool. program. So that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Just wondering rack. logistically how, how it goes down. So appreciate it. Sorry, Ross. Uh, yeah. Trying to, I think the term is, um, uh, Oh, I, I struggle with all my educational terms, but differentiation of instruction. Like when, when I still get evaluated, cause I'm a PE teacher. So when they come in to evaluate me, I'm like, oh, okay. I've got this for differentiation. I've got this for RTI. I've got this, all the acronyms and all the, all the extra stuff that I we have to do. Dan- so, yeah, I don't yeah, envy miss, that. I don't the, miss those days. <laughs> yeah, the college level. I just say, hey, do this. You have, you have no choice. <laughs> Dan, what? I've never had a problem with it. Like, I've never had a bad score on them. It's just it's something that you have to do in order to keep my teaching license and stuff like that. And, like, usually 
uh, knock on wood so far, like all the administrators that have been assigned to, uh, to my weight room when they come in to evaluate, they're just like, yeah, looks good. I don't understand what's going on here, but we'll talk later. I'm like, we're good. All right. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit, Dan, um, since you're just, you know, we're just starting out to the fall sports and, uh, conditioning and all that good, you know, all that good fun stuff. And as we know, fall sports are typically the ones that get the, the, the baddest uh, reputation, I should say, uh, because you're starting out in the fall. Kids probably didn't show up in the summer. And if they sat around for two months and we start in August one, they're going to look like crap. Whereas, you know, winter and spring, they've already got fall and uh, winter semesters to prepare. So what uh, for you, you know, what would be your suggestions or what uh, how do you progress your kids to be ready for August 1st? And then how do you think coaches should handle your kids that you didn't see all summer and then they're showing up day one? Yeah, so this is like a, a multi-layered um, answer, and I think it's a little bit easier for me because I do have, and I know you, you have it written down to talk about later, um, but I have Titan GPS. We use 25 different units on it, so I can track what – our kids are going through throughout the, the entirety of practice um, day over day, over day, over day. And I'm in a system where our head coach really values that um, kind of because of a, some of the, the shared experiences we had last year with it, where I came to him and said, Hey, I'm, I'm nervous about these couple guys. And we ended up having one um, based off the load that they were experiencing. They had this really weird dip in, in um, practice load and then it was a really cold week. We were on a bye week. They hadn't been going hard in the weight room. So the perfect storm for injuries, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm nervous about these two kids uh, having a, some kind of a soft tissue injury because we're trying to push them for, you know, for intensity and all these other things. And it's just not their metrics don't look good. And I don't like where it's going. And unfortunately, um, one of them uh, had like that day that we had that conversation. One of them had a pulled hammy that ended up nagging him for the entirety of the rest of the season. Um, so like that, unfortunately, that un unfortunate circumstances, one of those that I wish I was wrong. Um, but he, you know, that bought a lot of, a lot of points in his book, knowing that like, no, the stuff's legit. Like the data that we're, you know, he's coming to us. And when, when these things, these conversations are happening, we need to listen for a whole host of reasons because he just predicted like, unfortunately that this injury, you know, was, was at risk. Um, so that, that has allowed us to have this relationship to where like he gives me a lot of, um, and as the, the co-defensive coordinator, like we do, we all do the practice schedule together for what each segment of practice looks like. So, um, kind of this perfect alignment of who I am being like the Titan guy, like I monitor our GPS in our school and then, um, I'm in charge of the weight room and I have a hand in directly, structuring practice. So there's things that we do within practice that kind of reflect a little bit to what you're talking about. So um, one of the primary things that we do from a conditioning perspective is that we, um, we tell our coaches that we, during three specific segments of practice, we want to coach on film and strictly on film. And that's team um, that's seven on seven and that's inside run. So whenever those three are happening, coaches don't stop practice Coaches make notes on their own sheet and then we'll fix it up later. Uh, but this is a period where the mm. pace of practice is strictly drives what we're doing and playing the game of football 
to make it line up to the, the game itself. So we have um, a little bit of data and, and Titans are one of the systems that makes it easy where I can tag practice and then I can get a load per minute score off of what that segment of practice looks like from an offensive perspective and a defensive perspective. So then I can go back when I'm monitoring and say, hey, the these segments look good as far as like our load per minute score. So um, we did a great job of mimicking the demands of the game um, and now go coach up technically on your film or vice versa. Like, hey, we dropped the ball practice like that low per minute score wasn't high enough. It doesn't match what we want it to look like to mimic those game demands. So we need to do a better job of driving pace, whether that's getting signals in faster, getting the ball spotted faster, coaching better on film, whatever it is. Like there's this whole host of reasons that um, we need to do that, those things. So um, all of those things. So I'm sorry, my wife just walked in the door. So, my son, my wife is my my kid's favorite, so she she takes a cake on all of them. So he got really excited, like he was fine, just hanging out right here. And then she walks in the door, and it's like, "Mom's!" Like I wasn't even there. So um, no, so we we want to make sure those three periods of practice are really structured that way. And then what we do is during specific other portions of practice, or um, that is is more geared toward our ones to our that is not geared to our ones, that our twos and our developmental players, those are all the same. It's kind of that same approach. We want those kids to have those reps to match the demands of the game. So um, all of those things are are what matter to those guys. So it's about those guys that are plugging in at the end of summer who haven't been there. We want to make sure that during those segments of practice, when our upperclassmen are getting the ones and two, the, the vast majority of those reps and those three, we have, we have another drill that's appropriate to their position that's also going to mimic demands of the game. So, like, our JV players will go, when we're doing seven-on-seven seven with our DBs and our wide receivers, they will go down and do routes on air because anybody that's coached football knows that J- a JV seven-on-seven seven period does not match the demands of the game, like, because of how much teaching has to happen. So they'll do routes on air where, like, they'll do combo routes. So they'll do two-by-two two routes and three-by-one routes. But they will have to do – uh, four plays in a minute where I can't tell you what the route is. It's past concept reset to this line of scrimmage past concept. And you have to get us X number of routes. So we might start that as three routes in a minute. Then we might go to four concepts in a minute, five concepts in a minute, and then we rotate wow. them out. So then that way, now the next group is coming in and that group goes to rest. So then that kind of mimics, we're not an up, up tempo style offense. Um, we're a very much a, a smash mouth kind of offense and we just want to do it over and over and over again until the other team breaks down. Um, but that gives us for, for those kids, it gives us routes and combos. So now they're learning it on the fly, but more importantly, they're getting those game demands before they step out on there as well. So if we've got a kid that might be challenging for a varsity spot, but wasn't here, you know, all summer long, we might plug them into those same exact drills, even though those drills are designed for, freshmen and sophomores and guys that just aren't developed yet, we'll, we might plug them in there while they're learning the concepts and proving to coaches that they belong on the field. We might plug them in there to say, hey, number one, you have to know your job. This is a great way to know us that when we signal. I don't know what our concept is, but like one of our concepts, our, our wide receivers coach, they signal this. <laughs> I'm a defensive guy. I don't care about offense, but they signal this. And like you have to show that you know what this means by running it even though you haven't been here all summer. So like that's their opportunity to, to go do it um, and, and prove that they know their job well enough to be in that mix for those guys. So we structure practice like in, in areas like that so that 
we don't really have to condition very often. Um, kind of when we get back into like this last week was our, our first week back into um, acclimation, working helmets, working towards short pads and full contact. Um, we'll do a, a, a conditioning drill at the end of practice two days a week. Sorry, he tripped on the <laughs> water. So um, we'll do we'll do a conditioning drill at the end of practice in which um, we, we kind of mimic the work-rest ratios of a drive. Um, and we'll start low and we'll add volume as we go. Um, but like we'll do, we started with three quarters and our guys will start, um, seniors will start first, everybody else is back and they're on the goal line. And we'll start with a 20 yard, they'll start, everybody's in a three point stance on the whistle, fire out to the 20. It's a full sprint to the 20, turn around and get set at the 20 yard line. As soon as everybody's set, we blow it again, blow it again, blow it again. So down and back is one. They've got three reps. So they get six bursts of 120 yards and then they're off. And then the juniors will go Hmm. six reps, sophomores. Then if uh, we only have, we have freshmen with us two days a week and they have their own practice, the rest, Uh, but if freshmen are with us, freshmen will go and then we'll go second quarter, then third quarter. And so we'll layer that. So we'll start at, we started at six reps at 20 yards and ultimately we moved to 10 reps at 25 yards as a quarter. Um, so we add volume. So like the first week we did two days a week, uh, or two days the first week. And then from then on out, it was one day a week. And it's something that we'll do, um, once a week, if our loads of practice aren't high enough. So we'll go, we'll confirm with Titan. Um, and we will never do that before Wednesday. So I don't really look at the Titan data until after Tuesday's practice. And there's a system that I use to, to check and, and see if we're, we've gotten enough volume, enough intensity, which players need more. So if certain players have done more and have done enough, then, and these, these players over here haven't, then I'll grab them and they'll, they'll condition for five minutes after practice, take their pads off condition for five minutes. And it's a drill specifically structured for the games of football. We're not out there just like running gassers or one tens or, you know, mindless conditioning. Like they know that they're not in trouble. Like I didn't pick these, this group out because I don't like them. I picked them out because you haven't had like for whatever reason, whether it's a coach's tactical decision making and you just you haven't pushed. the We haven't pushed the ball down the field enough and you're a wide receiver and you haven't got those downfield routes. You just haven't had enough volume and yardage naturally in practice or organically in practice. So we need to we need to artificially inflate those numbers to the point where you are prepared, not because we want to artificially inflate those numbers because there's some magical standard. But all each kid's number is based off their performance in the game. So it's like we're not just, mind, like I said, mindlessly conditioning. We're, we're trying to get you ready. So we'll start uh, start there and we'll add volume and then we'll add some frequency. Um, for those players that haven't been here, that's a great way for them to start small because, again, it's 20 yards. Like it's, it's, not, a, it's not a difficult task if you've been an athlete before, if you've done things. Like we have kids who – I mean, we have a freshman who's 330 pounds at 5'10 and not a good 300 pounds, if you get what I'm saying. Like, he's, we're consistently waiting. Like, when we do this rule, we wait for him, but it's a great opportunity for the rest of our team to cheer him on because they know he's one of those kids that he needs football more than football needs him. So, this is helping him get in shape and live a healthier lifestyle and things like that. So, uh, but it's a drill that's not going to put that kid at risk for, for rhabdo or for heat related illness or, or any of those other things. It's safe, it's structured. Um, it's tough. Like we're going to ask you to perform when the, when the circumstances aren't ideal at the end of practice, but 
it's something that you're capable of doing. So we take all of those kids and that's, that's one simple thing that we do um, that we add in that, that helps that's great. all of those kids. on this Dan, stage. I love what you're doing there um, with the, the, the GPS, obviously having the, the load per minute score is, is clutch and being able to match your demands of the game is, is huge. Building that volume over the summer, um, and then obviously like having guys who aren't there in the summer, that sucks. Like that's just part of who we're working with, but, um, getting those guys in and getting them reps once they do come in, seeing if they can manage that, um, obviously demand, demand, like if they can't, then they're not going to play. But, uh, when it comes to in season, how will you manage that throughout the week? Will you continue to um, keep things the same each day or do you have kind of a high low that you're looking for using the GPS and uh, how does that work along with the workouts that you have with the team and how often do they work out? For sure. So I have in season, I have um, whenever school's in session, I have our, um, our athletes 90 minutes a day, 97 minutes a day um, every single day. So Monday through Friday, you know, you're, if you play a sport, you know, you're with me for 97 minutes, um, which is unbelievable. Um, that's, that's an awesome blessing because like, it, it doesn't matter where you are in a competitive calendar. Like, you know, you have that time carved out in the school day, which is a whole nother conversation that I'm <laughs> going to try to not delve into here. But now like we can take that stress and those, those expectations off of you doing it extracurricularly and give you the opportunity to do that here. So that, after school, you can go do homework, you can go work, you can go be a kid, like you can do all those things that supports the mental health of athletes. But again, not no tangent there. Um, back to your question. So in season, like, yes, we, we do st- structure our practices off of like a high-low model um, where Monday coming off of Friday, Monday is kind of a midday because we are uh, installing and teaching new scheme and adjustments based off the scheme of what we think the, uh, the opponent's going to give us. So because of how much teaching there is, we can't have a high day uh, because there's just uh, with, again, high school kids that you have to teach. Like it doesn't matter how many times you've seen a, from an offensive perspective, you've seen a three, four that year, like, you're still going to have to go over, hey, this is how their defense is going to line up. You just can't say, hey, they're going to go into a 3-4 gap or a 50 slant angle. Like Kids don't aren't going to know that. So you have to teach that on Monday. So because of that, we're kind of capped Monday um, to like a mid-intensity drill. We still try to do – we still try to structure some competitive period. Like we might go best on best depending on if we're beat up or not. Um, so we like our one defense and our one offense as much as possible – we've got like two or three crossover kids. Like we might need to fill those spots in, but we might go best on best at, uh, to kind of help drive that load a little bit. So like if it's a day where we have a lot of teaching, uh, we might structure that into practice um, and go best on best to drive some artificial, artificially drive some load. Um, and then Tuesday is our day where we absolutely get after it. So that is our high day for the week um, specifically because we want to absolutely drive intent. So those are our downfield passing route days um, where the playbook is 100% open. Um, this is our opportunity for kids to organically hit a max velocity as much as possible. So like we try to let them allow them the opportunity to organically hit that. One of the thresholds that I track with our GPS is we want to hit 90% of max velocity uh, twice a week on or two different days out of the, the competitive week. So Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, whatever it is. We want to hit it twice a week so that that way we know we're prepared for it when the time comes on Friday. 
Um, so this is one of those big days that we really look for everybody to hit max velocity or near max velocity organically on again on Tuesday. So um, we structure practice to, to reflect that. So playbooks wide open, call whatever you want. Um, plus we have competitive periods. Plus that, those are the days we do seven on seven. Um, those are the days for like for our O-line guys. Um, there's a coach I talked to that runs uh, their offense is very outside zone based. So for their O-linemen, that's when they're trying to get that 90% mark because that's about the only time that they're going to hit 90% uh, because they're offensive linemen. I've got an O-lineman whose max velocity is 13 miles per hour. Um, I wish I was joking, but he's 6'6". He's a 16-year-old. He's 6'6", 355, and he's, like, really soft. But he's got – because of his size, he's got some, like – he's got a lot of room to grow. Like, he's got big balls on a puppy, but he's – we got a lot of work to do with him, but he's got great potential. But his max velocity is, like, I think – 13 mile per hour is the most I've ever tracked him with no pads and nothing on. Um, so his average miles per hour or his average mile per hour on a sprint is like nine miles or eight miles, eight and a half mile an hour. So like those are each kid's different. And that's why like having those, that those Titans as that check mark and having GPS is huge because then now I can know which kids are actually, you know, performing well at practice organically and which kids need some more of that external stimulus. So we'll match that up um, on um, with the weight room, uh, sorry, then Wednesday's a low day for a uh, relatively low day for us. We'll have one or two competitive periods throughout the entire practice and that's it, but it's also a shorter day. And then Thursday is a midday as well. Um, we've got a scripted, we call it mock game where we're going to hit every scenario that we expect to see on Friday night. Um, but we also practice on Thursday morning. So we have Monday morning, Thursday morning, um, and Thursday morning, we want it to be relatively intense. So like we might get out there and compete one more time. Um, in, in a series of structured drills, not like organic competition where everything is open, where like defense is going against offense and we're both calling plays. But we might structure like a specific goal line competitive drill where you've got one one of each position out there, O-line, D-line, linebacker, secondary guy, and so on. And we're going hash the sideline and we're just trying to score. And defense, don't let them score. So that way we artificially inflate that load and artificially inflate the intensity a little bit um, but it's external to the game. So we give them that mid stimulus and then they're off until it's time to go on Friday. So that way we can kind of maximize our day or maximize our competitive calendar on the hot, that high low model. So they have enough rest to recover from Thursday to a Friday, even though we had a midday on Thursday. Um, but they have, again, they have maximal time because they've got a full uh, 36 hours before from the time we're done to the time we go out for warmups is about 36 hours. So, um, weight room wise Monday, we'll do a, we'll do our squat again. This will change next season when we have the opportunity to get more West side integrated into it. Uh, but Monday is going to be our squat day. Um, again, we just want to get in there, drive some stimulus, uh, full range of motion, work out some of the soreness, give some active recovery when needed, um, to replace some of our exercises for guys that are still beat up from Friday. Um, we don't see them Saturday or Sunday. We say, go rest, go be a kid, go do all the things you need to do. Um, and just, just rest and recover. So, uh, we've got some digital resources of some lists of exercises, some YouTube videos of, um, athletic yoga stuff that we pump out them and say, Hey, these are some suggestions we would like for you to do on the weekend, like pick one or pick two. Um, and then we've got some kids that will still like, they'll go to the gym. And when they do, I tell them like, Hey, go, go get a pump, go be a kid, you know, train biceps, triceps, shoulders, traps, like whatever you want to do, like go have fun. Just don't bench, don't squat. Um, and don't clean. That's all I ask them to do when they go to the gym on the weekend after games. Cause we've got a high number of kids that say they'll, they're probably going to go do that. 
Um, so Monday when they come in and we squat, um, again, it's tiered system, but our primary motion is a squat. Um, Tuesday we'll come in and that's our Olympic lifting day. Again, we, um, we want to marry that up to what our model is for the week. So if Tuesday is going to be a high day, um, on the field, which is right after we get done lifting, it's like, we'll lift, we'll transition to get pads on and then we'll go outside of practice. So it's the timing of the school day is pretty nice for us in that, in that um, aspect, but we'll Olympic lift. Um, that's our big Olympic lifting day. So we'll catch on Tuesdays. Um, we'll get some, our volume in our volume in the weight room on Tuesdays, extremely low. Like we might be, uh-huh. we might do 10 sets of one on our cleans. Um, and that, and that's it. Um, at like 75% looking for absolutely perfect reps. Um, wherever you catch, give me a front squat. Um, something along those lines. Like there's a, a, a myriad of different options of what we'll, we'll throw in there, but it's our Olympic lifting day. Again, a relatively high stimulus, um, very low volume. And then we'll go to practice and have a high day. Guys are jacked up running around going nuts, um, because we just primed their system in the weight room with a high intensity day, low volume. Um, then we come back on Wednesday and everyone has an athletic yoga during on Wednesdays. So that is our active recovery day. Um, we'll go through our, our normal warm up. We'll address some mobility work. We'll do an athletic mo, um, yoga class. Um, I go to YouTube and there's, um, Oh, I type in, um, athletic yoga and the guy that pops up, um, is he's the first one that pops up, but he's got, if you click on his channel, he's got hundreds of videos. He's absolutely awesome. It's something flow, something in flow. Um, but he's, he's fantastic. Um, kids love it because like there's a little bit of a language barrier. It's like he's in (laughs) he's speaking English, but like they have to, I love it because they really have to focus on what he's saying to understand what he's saying. And then their grade is directly reflected on how much they participate. I tell them, I don't care how good you are at yoga. That's not, that's not what you're getting graded for. It's how much do you try? So then we'll do that on Wednesdays, kind of bring it back down, work on some, address some um, mobility concerns. And then that ends with a 20 minute period where it's absolutely silent in our weight room. Kids are on the laid flat on their back, nasal breathing, and most of them end up falling asleep. But it's that reset for them to be able to say like, Hey, we're in the middle of the week. Most of you guys didn't sleep well last night. Well, let's get everybody flat, get you laying down and get kind of hit that reset button for a few minutes. Um, Thursday, then we come back and Thursday is our um, bench press day um, where, again, depending on the five through one model of what we'll do in season, like we'll hit that mid volume um, and then we'll we'll get after it there, too. And then Friday, we have a a specific game day lift that incorporates um, our trap, our trap bar deadlift in it. But we want to be explosive and powerful in that, um, whether we're about to go get on the bus or whether we're playing at home that night. So it just depends on the the schedule of how far away our game is. But we'll we'll game day lift and. That's where we'll incorporate some of um, the things I've stolen from um, Alan Bishop, where he's doing like accelerated jumps. He's not the only one, but he is the primary one. I like to steal stuff from on this stuff. But um, like some of our accelerated jumps, our French contrast things like to to prime the system to be be ready to go because you just came off a, a an extended period of rest of over 24 hours where our expectation is that you were resting, you were eating, you were recovering from the whole week of practice before you go play a game on Friday. So that's kind of the long winded version of how we tie all of this stuff together between the field, the stimulus and structuring practice on what the stimulus we want the kid to feel. And then how we tie that with our, with our weight room. All right, Kurt, you want to lead the way here on your uh, sprinting questions there. I know you want to talk about that 15 yard burst a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, I was scrolling through Twitter, right. To try to kind of figure things out here. Um, a little bit about your training, about your weight room setups, your logistics, all that. And I think it was July 10th, 
you had a post. Uh, so July 2023, it was a 15-yard bursts and your record rank publish um, kind of system that you had up there. And it had a name, it had a position, had graduation year. Just I thought that was one of the best graphics for high school athletes that I've ever seen. Can you talk to me a bit about that? Um, have you seen that somewhere else? Did you create that? Is that um, kind of a standard thing with Titan? Um, just, yeah, please, to discuss that post for us, please. For sure. So um, I'm a big – I want to say I'm a big Tony Holler, feed the cats kind of guy, um, but there's a lot in the track application of it <laughs> that I don't understand. Um, our our track coaches asked me to coach um, this, this spring, and I said – I'm going to be honest with you, like aside from getting kids fast, I don't really know much about track. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't make much sense. Like I know how to get kids faster, um, but I, I follow a lot of what Tony does and what Chris Corfus does um, in that combination there. So the um, one of the biggest pieces that I jumped onto very quickly as I was trying to educate myself in, in all things Feed the Cats was the record, rank, and publish. Sorry, yep. I always get it backwards. Yeah, record, rank, publish. I love to say rank, record, publish. I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, you obviously you have to record first before you can rank them. Um, so we'll record uh, uh, everything that we can get our hands on. So, like, that's my that's one of my primary drivers of data. So whether it's a fly 10, a vertical jump, um, whether it's GPS data, like, these, this goes outside of just our GPS application. Um, we'll One of the big things, we'll do very tons of different variations of fly 10s. Um, I love them because of how variable they can be. We use a dash or timing system that allows us to do a lot of different things. So like we'll do a roll 90 test, um, which is essentially like a fly 10 with a bend halfway through a 90 degree bend halfway through. Um, So again, which kids can put their foot in the ground, change direction and still measuring their time when they're moving through there. We'll do a fly 10 and then make them stop within a certain amount of time. Um, So that that way, like you can't pull because we are tracking the amount of time you're taking to travel this 10 yards, you can't pull up and just go 70% and then expect to stop really fast. Like that your time is going to get inflated there. So we'll do a a ton of different variations of those. And then we'll, again, we'll record them, we'll rank them. And then we want to publish those. um, And we want to be, we want to promote success and promote uh, competitiveness. Um, So we uh, Titan has that graphic and that option within their um, online platform that I can go in there and I can make any graphic that style that I want. So it gives me an option to make leaderboards. So I can make any leaderboard that I want. It doesn't have to be Titan related. does not have to be GPS data. does not have to be any of that stuff. I've made vertical jump, um, uh, counter movement jump, PR leaderboards for our entire program, athletic program. I've made fly tens, obviously like Dasher and Titan have nothing to do with each other, but I can use their platform to make their own leaderboard. Um, but any of the GPS metrics that I use, like because it's on the leaderboard and in Titan, I can say, I want this date. I want this metric. Give me a leaderboard. And it pops in um, and it'll fill it in wow. for me. And then I just click download PDF. So it's a very simple system. Um, it's a great graphic because then kids, I've seen kids screenshot it, yeah, send them yeah, to yeah. each other and start talking trash with it. So I love it for that. I love it for that. Uh, but then our kids love when it, when they see their names pop up on there, man, like, they, they retweet it like their parents retweet it. I remember I got an email from a mom one time, like we had a kid um, and I do different variations. Like I'll do our skill kids together, our mid kids together, and then I'll give our O-line and D-line. I'll separate them out and rank report, rank report, publish just the O-line, D-line. 
uh, because I want them to be able to compete amongst themselves. And if I know that if I did it, yeah. just the whole team, obviously they're never getting on there. Uh, so I did a, an O line. It's probably, I think it's the post you were talking about, but um, I did an O line D line one and I, ta- uh, I try to tag them on Twitter. Like whenever they make it, um, Twitter's really the only thing that I have. So or only social media I have, but um, I try to tag them. And I remember one time I couldn't, one of our kids name, his name's Jack Brown, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. the most common name you're going to find on Twitter. Right. So like, I could not find our Jack Brown on Twitter anywhere. So I tagged the other four guys. I just posted, I searched for like 10 minutes, tagged the other four guys and posted it. And I got an email from his mom wondering why he wasn't tagged because her baby yeah, yeah. made the, uh, the, the, the leaderboard. And so I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I found his page. Like we're good. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was that. I guess that makes sense. I'm like, I promise I wasn't trying to leave your kid out. Um, but like mm-hmm. parents love that stuff. Like parents will retweet it. Parents will comment on it. Um, so it's like, it's just a great way for our community to get around and like get a snapshot, even though they're not at our training sessions or not at our speed sessions. Community. Our community gets an idea of what our kids are doing. Um, they see what names are, com- are habitually popping up. They see that little Johnny's name popped up for the first time and they get excited about it. I've had coaches like football coaches in our area, you know, shoot me a message and say, Oh, you have a sophomore show up on this. You have multiple sophomores show up on this. So like, are you guys not going to be very good this year? I'm like, I don't know. We'll see about that. But um, because their, their year and their position, all that stuff's on there. So um, we are going to be really young this year, but um, it just, it, it just helps further the community because now like everybody has an idea of a snapshot of what our kids are doing. Um, aside from the videos that we'll be posting and aside from all that stuff, they know who's, working or who's excelling at what we're asking them to do. Um, and then on top of it, our athletics program sees what their funds went to. So, right. So like, that's a, it's a big piece for them is like, yeah, we will buy it. Um, if you can explain how you're going to use it, we'll buy it. But if there's some, a way that I can show our community, how we're responsibly utilizing over and over and over again, and the frequency of how we're using the funds that they allocated for us, it makes it easier for them to understand that where they're, where the money's going, what it's being used for. And then now next time, if there's something that I need in order to make my job, to do my job more efficiently or to, to better my impact, then it's more likely that our administration is going to say yes, because now our entire community sees what we're using it for. Wow. Never would have thought about the communal impact or aspect of something like that. And so uh, kind of first follow up question, will that, or do you ever get to directly go to the booster club or the president or, you know, meet for breakfast in some shady way and say like, Hey, I need $10,000 for this. Can you help me out? Like, is that ever a thing? And that's where this community aspect of, record rank publish kind of comes in. I will go on record and say that I have never had any shady breakfast meetups for <laughs> that's anything. The, I'll, so. I'll, I'll say that's the, uh, the high school football uh, TV show of let me meet the booster president uh, in the back alley and try to get yes. some. Okay. But anyway, not, not accusing yeah, Altoona or anything. That's not really a, th- that's not really a thing. No, no, no. Like I know the I know the TV show you're mentioning, okay. but that's not really a thing. So for most for most most of us, but no, um, it, it was kind of one of those situations where um, in this process, and I know I said we were talking about this before we got on that um, mm-hmm. it was kind of like a package deal. So when our head coach applied for the head coaching job, he said, "I I, I want this job. I think it's a great fit. I think it's a perfect alignment." 
but if you hire me, you have to hire this guy as well. Um, we ended up having a staff. Uh, there's four of us total, our head coach, uh, myself, our OC, and our D-line coach. The, we all came over together from um, the place uh, school we worked at before. Um, and part of that conversation was um, our athletics department utilized this as a perfect opportunity to take all athletics and united yeah. under one um, umbrella. Um, our athletic department as a whole has been um, kind of fra- – uh, Fractured may not be the right word, but um, to an extent, they've been relatively fractured because um, the person that was in place before me was very much a um, you know football style method of training for everyone, um, and that where the only thing that really mattered yeah. was we're getting stronger. Um, and they've been and, and the catch twenty two of it is really hard because we've had a, a, an extreme amount of athletic success. The school opened in two thousand and eight. We've made the state playoffs every single year in football since then. We won won it in football once and played for it another time in a very sh- again a very short amount of time. Um, we have a volleyball state title, multiple track and field um, state titles. Like there's it, there's been success, right? So part of this coming in was like, all right, well. They've done it right for a long time. It's I know it's going to be a little bit difficult to have those conversations and convince them that that doesn't mean that that was the best way to do it. That there were that may be a little bit of a confirmation bias there that well we won so why don't we just keep doing what we've done? Um, so there was a little bit of that, but um, those conversations happened early where with administration like hey, if this is going to happen, these are some of the things that. It, in order to do my job the way that you're going to ask me to do it and the way that I need to be able to function, there are a few pieces of, of support that I really need. Um, a jump mat, a, a jump mat, a timing system, um, a, an athlete management system, and then a, um, the, the GPS piece. And um, I said, it does like our football boosters, like by this time, our, our head coach was kind of getting a snapshot of what the booster club looked like and how it operated and things like that. And he's like, we don't expect it to all come from the school. Like boosters will pay, like we're happy to do all of this. But, um, and then they were awesome asking questions and follow-up questions to know that these weren't just technologies that were going to impact football. We were going to spread them in, inside the classroom across all athletics and our non-athletes that are, take weight training they'll all be able to utilize all of these things. So we'll sprint, we'll time, we'll do all of those things with all of our athletes um, in the school day. So now we were able to use some um, PE funds. We are able to use some technology funds for like our, um, our management system. Um, we were able to, you know, piece together a lot of these things. And then obviously boosters kicked in and helped a lot as well. Uh, but our administrative support has been fantastic. Um, and, and uh, you know, I've always heard, I've always heard how important it was within a, a changing positions and, and changing schools, how important it was to have administrative support um, and what that looked like. And, and, you know, I agreed and I understood the premise of it, but this was the first time in my life I experienced full support in the sense that we're going to give you autonomy. And we understand that these are the things you need in order to have that and execute at the level that, you know, we're going to trust you to do. So we're going to help you, acquire those things to confirm from a data perspective um, and confirm that, you know, we're making progress and that I'm handing over athletes that are more prepared for their sport. Um, so they, they've been fantastic. Um, and that's kind of been, that's kind of been a, the, the introductory portion awesome. to Alex. No, I love that. And I love, uh, I'm happy for you that you're at a place where you're getting supported and good thing too. Like you knew it's kind of just a good lesson for all coaches of have your list of needs and wants when you're going somewhere, you never know when the AD might show up and say, Hey, you know, what, what can I get you? And if you don't have that, if you're not ready, um, yeah, you're just going to kind of be screwed there. And 
This is just a always ask for always ask for the wants mm-hmm. because it's more likely you'll get the needs. Yeah, and then they know what's on the radar, right? So, like, uh, our principal came in um, right after we got done one of the football workouts this summer, and she's like, "How's everything going? You know, are you using? You know, is there anything else that we miss that you need?" Because she saw how we were using all of those other things. She she saw that we were using everything that we had asked for that they had delivered. She knew that we were using those things and that we were getting our money's worth. So she came and she's like, Hey, is there something, is there anything else you need before school starts? I was like, a, a TV would be nice so that we could project to multiple TVs and our, our weight room's really long and skinny. I was like, because it's hard for people down there to see the TV that's down there. She's like, okay, uh, here's a PE awesome. card, go to Walmart, buy it. Love it. Like, oh, okay. So, um, things like that, but it's, again, it's responsible mm-hmm. use of what you're allocated and showing how, how it's impacting and how it's been used is more likely to say like, all right, cool. You're, you're using things very well with what you've been given. Um, so maybe we can trust them with a little bit more. Ignorant GPS question. You guys get an indoor, um, are the Titan GPSs capable of still recording everything inside of an indoor? And I'm asking, cause like I'm in a hockey rink, Blair's up in Massachusetts, not always able to be outside. Um, how do, how do those work? <laughs> For sure. So yes and no. Um, there's some metrics, there's some metrics that I can get indoors. Um, there's some metrics that I can't, um, this is kind of the next layer of systems to where like from a GPS perspective, perspective, how do we offer this next layer of services without exponentially increasing the cost? Because there's some systems that will work indoors, um, I think Z. I think it's Zebra is the one that I know of that like in any indoor you can always get it. I think a lot of the NFL uses it because they're on an NFL budget, right? So, um, and the, there's a there's another answer that I'm not I can't really give you right now because we're recording. Uh, but there's some there's some stuff coming down the road that will I think will um, revolutionize across all GPS providers. Um, some things that as technology advances happen will make this much easier. But yes, I can get some, we can, I can get some of them now. So like our, our boys and girls basketball team gets five pods each after football season. Um, and there's some data that we can use to, to help them out with, with just the pods that we have right now. Coaches, we're kind of, I don't want to say coming to an end, but as we're trying to wrap her up here for you, so, uh, we could all get to the kids and all that. Um, talk to me about 616 athletics, right? So, uh, you're please first just tell everyone your, your Twitter there so that it's out there. And then, uh, there's a link there. You click on it. What is 616 all about? Yes, yeah, so my um, my Twitter handle is Coach D Mullins, M-U-L-L-I-N-S. Being in the South, um, I get yeah. Dan Mullen quite a bit. Um, like, uh, I wish, like, yes, his bank account's a lot nicer than mine. But, um, no, so it's uh, Coach D Mullins. Um, but a year and a half ago, I started getting some questions about, you know, doing other things outside of, um, outside of my current role in the school system being like programming for other people. And I've always programmed like some bodybuilders or some general, um, general lifters or some power lifters here and there virtually. Um, so I've always done it to a little bit of an extent, but now like 
trying to be a little bit more um, like balance the line between giving resources away and, and charging for them. Um, there's a, there's some resources that I had um, when I used a previous GPS provider. Um, I needed some things. So I had to build a Google sheet and things like that. And then other people that use that same provider were like, well, I need that sheet. And I, I would just give it to them um, early on. And I'm like, well, I spent quite a bit of time making that sheet and some conversations with other people like Cody Hughes um, and Mark Hoover and a couple other guys that, that do some similar things like um, to start actually like charging a little bit for that um, and providing some services, some other services. Like I program for two other high schools as well. Um, one, just a football program and one is a, uh, a basketball program. So like programming for other people as well. So um, when, when this started and, and that was, this started before I started programming with them, um, but kind of had the, the vision of launching a an LLC or a side a side business to be able to run all of this through, so that that way, like everything was legitimate, all the tax documents, all that stuff. So, um, launching this side business was was something that was a needed stepping stone in order to do all of those things and kind of unite those under their own umbrella um, as well. So, six, um, you know, my wife and I were sitting there like. We had this this idea. We had this plan. We had um, all of the things in place. Like we had purchased a, uh, we purchased the website, purchased like the, the all of the things. Yeah. And then we're like, well, what are we going to call it? So like we we went back and forth, and we kind of struggled for a day or two. And then, um, you know, one big piece of my um, kind of internal struggle as a coach throughout my career and as a teacher has been that the the idea and the concept of um, imposter syndrome, like mm-hmm. not feeling like I belong and not and feeling like, you know, I shouldn't speak regardless because of like, what am I going to give mm-hmm. that other people are going to find value in? Like what, why am I in the conversation or, and things like that? So um, that that's always been a, a key piece of, of kind of like my backstory or my backside as I've been coaching, like the, the, that has always been an underlying issue. And then, um, you know, kind of just through service sermons one day at, at church um, and then some follow up reading and things like that. Um, I was brought to um, Joshua chapter number one, where the Israelites are kind of going through this entire struggle where they're about to enter the promised land. And there's all these other things that are going on. And uh, Joshua's feeling some of that same, you know imposter syndrome like he's not there um he doesn't feel as if he's ready he's prepared to go or he should be the guy to lead um and all these other things and um joshua 1 6 which joshua is the sixth book of the bible so that's where uh-huh. 6 1 6 comes from um is 6 1 6 joshua 1 6 is is the lord confirming joshua in that you know there there's going to be difficult times there's going to be hard times but you are the chosen one to do this because of xyz like i have prepared you the way like i'll take care of everything else as long as you trust and lead the way that you're supposed to be going so it's it was god's confirmation to joshua that he is doing what he's supposed to be doing he's doing what god has called him to do um and that was kind of as, as this conversation started and 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 we started talking about this like this has been like I've worked in other things here and there. Like I've done personal training. I was a science teacher and coached football when I was in Ohio because they didn't have NDA strength conditioning. Um, like I've done other things. I've been, I was in sales, but this was the one thing, like when I got into strength and conditioning that uh, the first time that I've ever felt like this is what I was made to do um, for every single day for the rest of my life was to coach. And this is how, this is what would allow me to do that. So um, that was kind of, that was kind of confirmation for me that, 
you know, I, I'm doing, I am doing that. I am doing what I should, what I was called to do. Um, so that's where 616 kind of comes from. Um, and then the, the logo on it is uh, on our company logo is a, uh, is a graphic lion. Um, and that's just our, my representation that, you know, I think as Christians, a lot of us um, have like this idea of Jesus is like this, uh, long haired dude. That's mm-hmm. always perfectly manicured walking from town to town, performing miracles. But, uh, I think that oftentimes lets us get a little passive with our lives and what we do. Um, and just kind of going about the day to day grind of, of what American life mm-hmm. and Western culture life has led us to. Um, and so like one of the tattoos on my arm says lion of Judah and it's a lion again, another conversational piece with the public school where people ask me all the time, but uh, it, it's, it's my reminder, both like when I look at, when I see our company logo and when I look down, like there's a specific way that our life is to be lived. And it's not like, it, it's not passive. It is act. We are supposed to be chasing the greatest opportunity and fulfillment of our purpose that we can. Um, and it's not just like, if Jesus just sat there, people probably at some point would have came to him, but he's restricting what his, his, his ministry was. So he was active and went out into the community and went out and traveled and did all the things. And he did the work and he didn't live a passive life. And so many other stories of, of the same um, throughout, you know, throughout the word. And um, that was, it's kind of my confirmation of, you know, this is how I'm supposed to live. And this is the 616 is the confirmation of what I should, what I'm supposed to be doing. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the, uh, just the, the honesty and then a little bit of vulnerability in that. And I think any coach listening could definitely relate to the imposter syndrome side of things and kind of the struggles we had and who can't relate to Joshua of like, Hey, you're going to follow Moses. Like, Oh, sick. <laughs> like, thanks. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I'm ready for that. Um, so since we, I'm, I'm going to call it uh you know, peeled back some layers there. If, if you don't mind me asking, you said at the kind of top of the show of, Growing up, single mother household, um, no father figure around at home, and yet you feel this immense call to be a coach. So I'm assuming at some point in your life, you've had a coach or some sort of male figure who tremendously impacted you. Um, can you describe a little bit of you know that person and kind of give them some honor and glory on this, if you would, if there was a person like that, um, and then what are you doing all this for? Like, why do you want to give back to, you know, why are you staying at Altoona and not trying to chase getting to the NFL? Um, I, I think it would be helpful for a lot of people just kind of hear your heart there. For sure. Um, no. So yeah, I was, um, I was raised by a single mom. Uh, my dad was at home until the age of 10, but really wasn't, at home. Um, he was arrested when I was 10 years old. Um, for the first time he was incarcerated for multiple DUIs. Um, so he had spent some time away and then bounced around and parents ended up getting divorced and some other things. And so he wasn't in the picture. Um, and then obviously as a single mom, whose ex-husband is in, is incarcerated, he can't play child support. So she's has to work multiple jobs. So, um, she was gone quite a bit doing all these things. And, um, it wasn't really until um, until high school where, uh, you know, I was heavily involved in sports because that was just, it, it was just fun for me. And it was my opportunity to you know, be socialized and be around other kids and parents and things like that. And um, really wasn't until in, in high school where I had that consistent um, kind of role model ish relationship with um, with coaches. 
Um, but I had some good youth coaches um, that even all the way up through my junior year of high school where um, they showed me like bits and pieces of what it meant, but I never really had that one person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was for me a, a big piece of this. Um, and I'll come back to that in a second. But yeah. when I got to um, my senior year of high school, um, we had uh, weight training mm-hmm. as an option for school. So I, I had signed up for it um, and it was with, um, I'm from a really, really rural town in Ohio, um, about an hour, uh, east of Cincinnati, one stoplight graduating class of 66 kids or 63 kids. Um, we didn't even have a football team. I, like we'd have to go travel for the next team over, uh, to the next school over to play football. Um, so like super small town. Um, and we had a, our weightlifting coach was our baseball coach. Um, his name was Tim Collier. He's now the superintendent of the school, which is a weird story. Like you can only find that in small in, in small rural places where like the PE teacher became the superintendent. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, I, I still remember to this day, like the consistency that he showed showed up with every single day to weight training. Like he didn't know like all of the science behind weight training, but he loved to lift himself. Like he would lift all the time. Um, and he was, he was a dad. His kids were around quite frequently. Um, and he was just a consistent figure of, Hey, like, it doesn't matter how you feel today. Like, yes, you have this test. Yes. You have all these things going on. This is your opportunity to kind of disconnect from that and just be here and be present and have fun and do what we do. So, um, he was, he was one that, that first kind of spark of that allowed me to really enjoy training. And that was the first time I ever like lifted anything. Um, so I, I really fell in love with it from that. And he, he kind of instilled that for me. And then from then on out, um, there were multiple p- people here and there that kind of like helped direct that path. Um, one of the, one of the other ones that's worth mentioning is, um, Cliff Marshall, who's now in charge of the men's basketball at Indiana. Huh. Um, he, so I, I was working when I was in school full time, I was working full time. My second second time in undergrad. Um, I was working full time and they owned the company I worked for was a pharmaceutical company and I worked security. So I'm working the front gate. They also owned, um, what's called ignition, which was a, they do a lot of NFL combine prep, um, and some other things there, um, and some other training. Um, but Cliff was employed by ignition to run their NFL combine prep training. So he came over and we would always have conversations at the gate, um, because he knew I was a power lifter and we would have conversations for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, borderline making him late for his meeting with people much more important than the company than I am. And he would always take that time. And I remember specifically one day he straight up asked me, he says, why aren't you doing what I do? Like, why aren't you training people? And why aren't you a strength conditioning coach? I'm like, well, Ohio, you have to have a degree for teaching. And I'm trying to finish that. And he's like, all right, when you're done, let's talk. And then um, he ended up moving on to um, Indiana before I graduated. But, um, you know, that planted the seed of like, all right, this is, this is a thing this is really an option. So kind of this combination of all of those things and bits and pieces here and there um, that reminded me of where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. And then on top of it to um, kind of be that one person or try to be that one person. Cause I'm not perfect. My, my wife's not afraid to tell you that um, I'm not perfect in any means. Um, but um you know, try to be that consistent voice for, you know, for the next generation of athletes, um, you know, be because a lot of them know that, you know, um, I, I tell my story with all of them. You know, I think it's important for them because I have a uh, I have a lot of <laughs> I coach with a certain intensity um, that's not like the fake rah-rah stuff. That's like 
real in like intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think it's easy for our kids to kind of forget where I come from and why I do that. Um, and why I coach that way. So I tell them that I tell them my story often so that they know where I'm coming from. Uh, but hopefully it like some of our kids, you know, that are experiencing what, what I went through, like that are single mothers, um, that don't, or not them not being single mothers, but are raised by single mothers. Um, you know, dad, wherever he is or whatever he's doing, or maybe he's just not like, it's not a great relationship. Like I want them to know that I understand what they're going through and that they can come to me with anything and that we're, we are about, and our head coach is right there with me in this part. Like we are about changing lives and developing men. Like if we win football games, fantastic. Mm. But I want to develop young men and women. I do have all sports, but his his mission is football because he only has that. But we want to develop young men and young women that are that understand their purpose, that seek after like what they were put on this earth for, mm. um, because. I felt once I found that, like a lot of the other pieces in my life fell into place because I knew like they all say like, you know what your calling is when you don't have to get paid a dollar or a dime to do what Mm -hmm. you do. I need to get paid for what I do, but I love going to work every single day because I know what I get to do. Like when the door shuts, like regardless of the administration, regardless of parents, regardless of all that stuff, when the bell rings and kids are late, if they don't make it in and that door shuts, it's me and the kids and that's it. Um, and I get to, for, for that 90 minutes, I get to be the person that they know is going to show up for them every day. And we commonly put everything aside and we get to train. Now we do have conversations obviously about mental health and, and all those other pieces that go with it. But for those 90 minutes, they get to be a kid, they get to compete, they get to all work toward a common goal. And, and I think that's, there, there's something there that there's an atmosphere there that I want to create for them that I wish I would have had before multiple years and multiple patterns of um, mental processes had, had gotten in place. So that's a, uh, that's kind of the really long winded version. I'm sorry. I talk a lot. That so. was great. <laughs> no, it's uh, Ross says it always well of like one of the most important skills of a coach is communication, right? If you're just giving these bland one word answers, uh, I don't know how <laughs> high quality your communication would be or even just, you know, your, I need to, your ability. As I need to learn the flip side of that though. I need to learn the flip side of that where like be more concise, fewer words. And that's part of like the PhD program. Like a lot of the feedback I'm getting is like, you could have explained this shorter. <laughs> no, but I don't want to. <laughs> Hopefully that's not coming in discussion board uh, replies there. That'd be pretty brutal of uh, the, <laughs> no, other, the other students. Okay. It's just the grading. All right. Yeah. But their comments, like I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting decent grade, better grades than I ever have in my life, but awesome. We'll no, I, I love to hear that. Well, um, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up here, but what, what I love oftentimes when you're discussing things with coaches is, there's the sets and the reps, there's the technology, there's the weekly layouts and all that. But again, when it kind of comes down to it, what we're trying to do here is we're in a profession of impacting young men and women or older men and women, whoever, and trying to impact their lives as much as we can. And uh, so many of us are just called into this profession of teaching and educating and instructing. And man, when when you find it, and if uh, it's truly what you're meant to do, there's there's nothing else like it. It's a beautiful thing where, you know, the, the four of us could be out on a field, look around at our schools and be like, man, somebody somewhere is in some office right now, just pushing papers and they, they are missing out on all of this. Um, so, so praise God for 
coaching, man. And it, it is a beautiful thing. Uh, guys, any, any last, uh, kind of word here for Dan or anything like that? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm no, in. Crushed it. I'm good. No, cool. All right. Dan, hey, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're we're excited for your season coming up. How many more days until uh, first game? Uh, we have we are two weeks, just under two weeks to our first scrimmage, and then uh, one more week until until they matter. <laughs> All right, beautiful. Well, we'll uh, we'll be excited and be following along, and uh, excited to see what your season turns out like. But we know they're going to be one of the best uh, prepared teams down there in Georgia. So, coach, thanks so much again for coming on. We appreciate it. Everybody, thanks for listening. Hopefully uh, you got as much of this, uh, as much out of this as we all did. I know I took a bunch of notes and uh, gets me excited for my hockey season's upcoming. Thanks again, everybody.